Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on Monday evening. I had planned to record the show this morning, but, uh, but due to the elongated baseball game on Sunday, I elected to spend the night in Arkansas and spend one more night with uh, some family and see my grandchild up there. So I did. You know what? I'm getting older. I don't know that I can take those two and three morning uh, arrivals much longer. You know, so I erred on the side of caution rather than push it and you know, possibly kill myself. I decided, you know what, let me spend the night and I'll take the day on Monday to drive back. So here we are. We had the weekend we expected, maybe not the weekend we hoped at Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're going to recap you know, the weekend that was. But also, too, I wanted to share with you guys, too, I spent some time speaking to you know, some of our friends at Arkansas. And the first thing that I'll say is do not let Arkansas Twitter negatively impact your opinion of Arkansas Razorback fans. And listen, I, I get it. I know that's the most visible example of fandom out there is people on social media. Many of those people are just, uh, you know, not people that, uh, you know, would say those things in person or whatever. And, and listen, there is a segment of every fan base that uh, has a negative connotation that reflects poorly on their, on their school, including ours. But I asked some people up there that I've known for a while. We'll call them acquaintances. They're friendly, but, uh, you know, I don't just throw the friend, you know, label around. But I said, hey, I just want to know, what was it like up here last year when Mississippi State won? You know, was, there all, were all, was all this angst? Were you guys pulling against Mississippi State? I mean, how, how did you see it? A hundred percent of the people, 100 percent said, you know what? I was glad to see Mississippi State win it. And it wasn't exactly because they were happy for us. Many of them said they were thinking, you know what, hey, Mississippi State did it. We swept those guys. We're close. We can do it too. We can do it. And close to 100% of them said we were just really happy Vanderbilt didn't win it. One person even called Vanderbilt the evil empire. So now, there wasn't this negative angst, shall we say, among people that, uh, let's just say they're closely affiliated with Arkansas baseball, they really kind of saw it as an encouragement. It's like, you know what? Hey, it should have been us. It wasn't us. But the fact that we swept Mississippi State, we know that we can win one. They came very close in 2018, you guys recall. Carson Shaddy overruns a, uh, a pop fly. And then those same people that embarrass Arkansas on Twitter all the time uh, really embarrassed Arkansas by going and attacking Carson Shaddy on Twitter. It's not okay, guys. It's not. It's poor form. Either you're a fan or you're not. Simple as that. Listen, the guy made a bonehead play. He doesn't need you to remind him. I thought he handled it with grace and professionalism. Probably handled it better than I would have. But uh, a lot of people up there have a lot of respect for Mississippi State baseball. And sure, uh, they love sweeping us too, you know. And it's so, you know, sometimes we forget. We swept them a lot too. It's just that, hey, we had an eight-game losing streak heading into Sunday. We finally snapped that streak. I was there for all of it. So we're going to break that down. And, again, we, we talked all week last week. We needed to do no worse than a two-and-two two week. We would love to have gotten that series. That would, in many ways, kind of increased our trajectory as a baseball program this season. But we got the weekend we expected. Not the one we wanted, but the weekend we expected. But I thought you guys would find it interesting. 
you know, what the Arkansas take was on Mississippi State winning from people that, you know, let's say are invested in, in Razorback baseball. A lot of fans up there around of, of the of SEC baseball. It's one thing I'll say about Arkansas that's probably different than most of the places that I have traveled. You know, they really keep up with the SEC. It's not, you know, like – like Ole Miss is a good example. Like, they don't look at anything outside of the red and blue bubble. Because, you know, it's like, hey, we've got the best this and the best that. And I think, you know, you, you've never traveled outside of Lafayette County, if you believe that. Arkansas fans, many of them do travel. But they do keep up with the rest of the SEC, and they can give you names of players, of coaches. You know, they keep up. They're fans of the college game, much like us. And so, in, in a lot of respects, we're very we're very similar programs, even though they are the U of A and we are the land grant school of Mississippi. I think both schools kind of appreciate the fact that um, our fan bases, our respective fan bases, that we are committed to college baseball. We are fully funding college baseball. Now, this was my first trip to Fayetteville for baseball since they have done some enhancements there at Bomb Stadium. I am now prepared to elevate Bomb Stadium to number three in the SEC. Number three. They've dressed up the concourse a little bit. It is very, very, very fan-friendly. It looks very nice. And I'd venture to say their scoreboard is better than ours. But that's where I would stop. The stadium in and of itself, even by some of the people that work at Arkansas, by their own admission, Duty Noble is the best. We're not just saying that because it's ours. It's true. You know, people tend to have, uh, you know, some, you know, some fan base bias about stuff. But uh, Bomb is a great venue for baseball. It really is and has a great atmosphere. And so as I mentioned, I said, hey, they say, well, you know, we're second only to Duty Noble. And I was like, well, I don't know that I would go that far. I got you guys number three behind Founders Park. And they say, well, you know, I've never seen any real atmosphere there. And I said, yeah, but we're not ranking atmospheres. We're ranking actual stadiums. We're actually ranking facilities. One of the, the, the big things that South Carolina and Mississippi State have that Arkansas doesn't have is you get a 360 view. You can walk all the way around the stadium. And that is a cool deal, especially when you pack it in the way we do. You can go out there and you know how it is there, friends, you only see in the lounge. You come in that back gate there and you can take a ride. You can walk all the way right out there and see friends. You go sit in the grandstand. It is very, very fan-friendly at both Mississippi State and South Carolina. You can't do that at Bomb Stadium. Now, I'm going to say some other things, too, about the hog pen. And if you Arkansas fans listen to the show, I don't mean this in a negative way. you gotta up, you got to upgrade that. I know the fans love the hog pen out there and left, and it is a cool thing. I mean, it's obviously, it's the left field lounge's, you know, younger kissing cousin you know, to the west. It's not near as grand as what we have here. And, you know, you can look out there. There are these, uh, you know, these aluminum bleachers out there against the fence that are kind of falling into disrepair. Now, I know a lot of people like It's kind of like the berms at State. People love being able to bring their chairs and spread out and just kind of sprawl out and have a good day at the ball yard. I think that's really cool. But the hog pen is not really on par with what a lot of people suggested it would be. I mean, from a facility standpoint and a fan amenity standpoint, it's really not. Is it a cool place to get together and watch a ball game? Yeah. And it's honestly, it's probably what the left field lounge was about 40 years ago. They've got a little, you know, column, I guess, a little section of stands there out in the hog pen. And then the rest of it is just kind of like where people gather, except they don't allow pickup trucks out there. You know, people just kind of get a seat and, 
and kind of position it there in the grassy knoll of sorts. But it is a great venue for college baseball. So don't think I'm sitting here, you know, throwing shade at Arkansas. I'm absolutely not. Again, I've got a lot of respect for Dave Van Horn and the Razorback program, and it is just a matter of time before they win an AFL championship. But to suggest that Bomb Stadium is better than Founders and better than Duty Noble, that's just disingenuous. That's just fan base bias is what that is. Again, a great venue for baseball. Just And listen, to be third in the SEC is to basically to be, you know, probably top five or six nationally because nobody really does it the way that we do it in the Southeastern Conference. It's one of the best venues in all of college baseball. It's just not Duty Noble Field. And you can say, but Steve, you're a state guy. That's true, but I've also got eyes, and I've also seen these places in person. I'm not just watching from the couch on TV like a lot of other people do. They sit there covering college baseball from their couch. It's not the same. I've been out and seen these facilities. I've walked the grounds. I've met the fans. I've talked to people. And Arkansas fans, I can tell you, the ones that actually go to ball games, very, very engaging people and very, very excited to talk. I had so many people that, that knew of me uh, that stopped and wanted to visit and kind of talk college baseball because they kind of know me as the Mississippi State guy. I had one guy stop me because I was wearing a Tesla shirt and said, hey, only the real ones know about Tesla. I think a lot of people know about Tesla, but that begins the conversation. And I uh, met some players, parents. It's always great to meet them. So I share all that. It was a good experience in, in many respects. You know, I, and those uh, pulled pork uh, tacos and nachos, even though I think I'm switching over to nachos. I had nachos yesterday. We won the ball game, so I may have to ride that wave. I, I, Greg Campbell, former SID from Mississippi State for baseball, texts me on Friday and says, hey, man, enjoy Bomber and enjoy those three tacos out there on the third baseline. And then on Saturday, I said, you know what, Greg? I've never watched Mississippi State win a game here eating tacos. So I switched it up. So you're welcome. You're welcome. Let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I'm going to slide on in there this week, too. Love having my own favorites. Kind of got a hankering for some Sloppy Joe sliders. Maybe you will, too. It is a great lunch portion. I love going there. Every time I go to Bulldog Burger Company, I get my money's worth. I never leave there wanting more. I always have to leave a little bit behind. Sometimes I even bring a doggy bag so my dogs are happy too. They love Bulldog Burger Company as well. Because you get so, such substantial portions, you don't want anything to go to waste. So I bring it home. If I don't eat it for lunch the next day, I give it to my canines. They're happy too. They like Bulldog Burger Company just like you do. Probably more so. I love Bulldog Burger Company. You guys do as well. Go by, have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. And have that uh, chocolate shake to go or maybe the Shipley's Donuts bread pudding for a dessert. You can't beat it, man. It's outstanding. Get the great restaurant quality hamburgers. If you're like me, maybe you want to go on the wild side a bit, have the mission. I get the pico de gallo on the side so I can kind of control that. Not a big onion guy. I love the smokehouse. I love the pimentology at bacon. But you know what? You say, Steve, if I'm ready for that, the Bulldog. That's the way to go, man. It's a great straight-ahead American Great restaurant-quality hamburger. Three great, great locations to serve you right here. University Drive in Stark, Vegas. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo and Lake Harbor Drive there. In the Ridge and Flowood area, be sure and go check it out. You'll be glad you did. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, before we get really cranked up here, let, right out of the gate, let me just say this. Arkansas is a better baseball team than we are this year. They, and not, they've proven it on the field, not just against us, but over the course of the season. 
they're a better team than us. Now, they may not be a better team than us late. You know, they were a better team than us all of last season until they were eliminated and didn't get a chance to go to Omaha, which opened the door for us to get to Omaha on the other side of things, and, uh, and we win. And, and ha- they were on the other side of the bracket anyway. You know, NC State won that super. And so we wouldn't have played them until the NAFL Championship Series in that big field. And I'll be honest with you, I think we'd probably been okay there. Either way, the way we were pitching it, the fact that big ballpark probably helps us. But it's all hypothetical. But again, they're better than us right now. Will they be better than us at the end of the year? That kind of remains to be seen. But as of right now, April 4th, 2022, Arkansas is a better team than us. Not just in the rankings, not just over this past weekend, but by and large over the course of the season. And I tip my cap at Dave Van Horn and the Arkansas Razorbacks. I don't think they're an elite offensive team like they were last year. They are an outstanding defensive team, and I think they actually might have better pitching this year than they did last year. Bullpen is a little bit up and down. They got great starting pitch, and they got three quality starts all weekend. And so how do you, you know, in any way, you say, well, we won the game on Sunday. I, I think if we play that series, you know, three times, Arkansas is going to win it all three times based on how we're both playing right now. They're just a better team than us right now. And that's okay. It's a long season. Let's get into game number one. As bad as maybe we don't want to, let's jump in here and do it. 11,548 people showed up for the game. They had over 11,000 all three games. So let's jump into uh, to game one here. All right. Much as I don't want to talk about it. Here we go. Game one, of course, uh, Connor Nolan was outstanding for Arkansas. Ups his record to 4-1. and one. Preston Johnson drops to 2-2. Two and two. You know, kind of the same old story with Preston. You know, he has some good moments, but occasionally he'll elevate a breaking ball, and he pays for it. You know, he's a guy that uh, will challenge hitters, which I love to see, but at times that breaking ball is a little bit problematic. It's something we got to work through. Top of first, Mississippi State goes one, two, three. Jess Davis grounds out to second. Cam strikes out looking. Luke Hancock grounds out to short. Nothing going for the Bulldogs. Very efficient inning for Connor Nolan, too. Uh, no more than four pitches per at bat here. I guess maybe five uh, there to Cam. But uh, no, it was uh, four pitches. Yeah, nothing over four pitches. Very efficient inning for Connor Nolan to start. Hogs uh, get a guy on base. You know, you got a chance for one pitch out here. We get a pop up on the infield and we drop it. Tanner Leggett drops the pop fly. Then we compound that with a walk to Stovall. Now, all of a sudden, there's runners at first and second. We've already pitched ourselves into some trouble here, a defensive miscue and a walk. Turner then reaches on a fielder's choice. A ground ball back to Preston Johnson. We eliminate the lead runner there at third, and then we bounce back with back-to-back Ks. So very good toughness here from Preston Johnson uh, in the first inning to get Bob Moore, too, who is a foul ball machine. The heart and soul of that Arkansas team in many respects is Robert Moore. Top of second, no score here. Bulldogs get an infield single. Logan Tanner singles to second base, and then we we can't get him around. We get the leadoff runner on, and then can't get him around. Hines flies out to center, had a tough weekend. Clark then reaches on a fielder's choice. They're not able to double him uh, at first, and then Cumbus flies out to left. Brett also a tough weekend. Really, that whole that that heart of the lineup there, you know, five, six, seven, Hines, Clark, Cumbus. Tough weekends all the way around. Arkansas 
explodes here in the second inning. And again, it's some of our own doing here. We walk Webb, and then we get uh, – and I can't – I kept mispronouncing this. Um, Bofin or Brofin, either way, he strikes out looking and then battles, hits the first pitch into the hog pin out there. Two nothing Razorbacks. Then we get a foul out to right field. Kellum Clark runs it down in foul ground, so it's a two out inning here. Now we chance to get out of this. There is a single to the hole, the six hole. Leggett knocks it down. Probably should have just held onto the baseball. We decide to throw it, and it's an error. The runner takes second. And again, once again, we have a defensive miscue, and we compound it with a walk. Go right back. Walk Stovall. Same two hitters. It's crazy. And then they get to us. Turner with a single through the right side. Run scores. Len Zilli, single through the left side. Run scores. And then Bob Moore triples to right center to drive in two more. It is a 6 nothing ball game. And the way Nolan was out and pitching, even though you want to convince yourself and say, hey, there's a lot of ball game left, this game was over. As a matter of fact, I went ahead and put it in my post game interview request right then and there we get Webb to strike out looking but it's a six nothing game and at this point here guys the decisions that you make with the bullpen kind of determine the rest of the weekend do you want to send a quality arm out there at this point in the game no you don't you don't want to burn a good arm and then kind of get into Sunday and you're kind of scraping the bottom of the bullpen barrel to piece this thing together Top of three, Jaeger, again, we get the leadoff guy on. Jaeger singles, just kind of rolls one out there past the pitcher. We beat it out. Again, leadoff runner on for state. We can't move him around. We don't get a single productive out the rest of this inning. Leggett flies out to right on a 2-0 count. Davis strikes out looking, and then James grounds out the second. Six-nothing. And at this point, you're not giving Scott Fox and Lamontis much to work with as far as managing the game because, you know, you're down six runs to a guy that has been absolutely outstanding this year. Brofen, whatever it is, <laughs> I apologize to the family, strikes out swinging and then battles homers again. Now it's a 7 nothing ball game. A bunt single by the nine-hole hitter Gregory, who had a really good weekend against us. Really scrappy guy. There's a lot of length in Arkansas lineup, and he is certainly a part of that. Battles is not exactly you know, a great batsman, but he had a really good Friday. Wallace grounds out to the pitcher. <clears throat> Sacrifice there, I think, if I remember correctly. And then uh, Stovall grounds out the short. But it is now a 7 nothing game for three innings. And, again, there's just nothing to work with here. Top of four, Hancock strikes out swinging. That didn't happen very often. And I thought Connor Nolan did a great job really mixing and matching against our lefties. According to Luke, he was throwing both a curveball and a slider. So just when you think, okay, he's going to throw the slider in, he drops Uncle Charlie on you. Just He was really, really doing a good job tying up our lefties. LT gets a hold of one. Homers to left field. It is now a 7-1 ball game. And uh, I thought LT had a pretty good weekend. Behind the plate and at the plate. Heinzen grounds out the short. Clark right, flies out to right field on the very first pitch. So it's 7-1 State finally on the board. Bottom of four. Turner fouls out to the third baseman. Then we walk Lanzilli. More than reaches on another error. This is a ground ball basically hit to Luke Hancock. He can't come up with it. Niners runners at first and second. But we don't have to pay this time. 
We actually walk Webb to load the bases, and then Preston Johnson responds back-to-back Ks to get us out of the inning without a run being scored. And again, we're just kind of dancing with danger here. They leave them loaded. They load them with less than two outs, don't get a run home. So again, credit Preston Johnson for kind of knuckling down here. But again, we're allowing them to extend innings, and we're not being very efficient pitching-wise either. It's like, yeah, they didn't score, but how many, how many pitches did we throw? You know, you, you, get a full, you get a full count and an extended bat that runs maybe eight or nine pitches for Lanzilli, then you walk Webb, and then even the two Ks are extended at bats. So you knew Preston Johnson wasn't going to be around long, and at this point his job is not to win the game, but to manage it as best he can and prevent us from having to burn too many bullpen arms. Top of five, State goes one, two, three, Compass flies out, Jaeger grounds out, Leggett grounds out to the pitcher. And again, the game's over here. All right, Cole Cheatham comes in and eat up some innings for us, and I thought he actually performed pretty well. He did walk the first hitter he faced, who's the nine-hole hitter, which is kind of a cardinal sin in baseball. We get a ground out to third, and uh, we get the runner at first. Gregory advances to second. Then we get a K looking, the ground out to shortstop. So the leadoff walk doesn't hurt us. But, again, it's kind of academic at this point. Top of six, against State, nothing going on here. One, two, three. Davis grounds out to first. James grounds out to third. Hancock strikes out swinging. We get to the bottom of six. Cheatham still in the game. Lanzilli grounds out to the pitcher. Moore flies out to left. And here we are again, one pitch away from uh, ending the inning. And then we walk Webb, another extended at bat. And, and a good A-B by him to really kind of battle. And I thought Cheatham did a good job too. Probably could have got a call later in this at bat. We didn't get it. Uh, the reality of it is, is, you know, it didn't really matter. But at the same time, it's good to see Cheatham get out there and actually – uh, pitch against SEC competition and be able to, to, to turn up a couple zeros. Webb still second, and then we walk the pinch hitter, uh, Solis, who was uh, kind of helping his buddy Brofen avoid the silver sombrero. Then we walk battles, and we elect to pull Cheatham and put in Drew Talley, who gets a fly out from the nine-hole hitter to center field uh, to get out of the damage there. But again, same situation. Bases are loaded, back-to-back innings. So you look, as, as bad as this game was, it could have been much worse. You know, it doesn't really matter how much you lose when you lose, but, you know, Arkansas threatened pretty, pretty much every inning after, I guess maybe after, I guess throughout the ballgame. And, and much of it, they, didn't, they threatened us because we kind of contributed to our own demise, shall we say. Walks, errors. We're just not, listen, here's the deal. We're a good team. We're not a great team. We're not even a really good team. When we play to our potential, we are a really good team. We're not a good enough team to go out there and, and keep giving people free bases, whether it be by errors or walks. We, did, we can't. We're just not good enough to overcome that. And Arkansas demonstrated that in spades. Top of seven, Tanner grounds out the short. Hines strikes out swinging. Clark then rips a single to left field. Good to see him take one the other way. He's got some oppo power there. Uh, nice little single there for him, and then he you know, goes on to second here, and then Cumbus strikes out swinging uh, to end the Bulldog seventh. Bottom of seven, Wallace opens up with a leadoff double. Stovall flies out to left. Wallace then steals third, and we're not we're not paying attention here. And those are the things you look at in hindsight and say, you know, we didn't even pay attention to the runner. Yeah, I understand it's a seven-one ball game, but this is a fundamental element of baseball. You got to hold runners. We never even looked at him. He just he basically still started without a throw. 
and you, and you could say defensive indifference, but it was really more of defensive incompetence. We just simply did not do our job there on the mound. And I'm not trying to beat up Drew Talley, but you at least got to look at the runner. You're just asking for it. He'll learn from it and be better for it. Turner flies out to center, and, of course, Wallace then scores. You know, I mean, it's, it's, if he's at second, that run doesn't score. But because of the fact that we basically gifted him third base, he's allowed to score without the benefit of a hit here. Then Lanzilli walks, still second, and then Moore lines out center field. So, again, that's a run we basically gifted them. They get the leadoff runner, but we allow them to move around basically uh, due to our own incompetence here. A top of eight, they bring in uh, Zebulon Vermillion. We finally get Nolan out of the ballgame, and you know that Vermillion probably is just kind of working for a pin here because, you know, the game is decided. Jaeger flies out to right. We let Slate Offer get in there and swing for Leggett. He strikes out swinging. Quarter pinch hits for Davis. Has a nice at bat here, but ends up flying out to right. I did think we competed a little better. We got nothing to show for it in this inning, but we did compete a little bit better. All right, Arkansas bottom of eight. We keep those uh, pinch hitters in, allow them to play defense. We walk Webb, and then we strike out Salee swinging and battles grounds into the double play, so we get out of there uh, without any damage done. Face the minimum in the inning, but again, it's a leadoff walk. Top of nine. Uh, Cole Ramage comes in, and again, this is about getting some work. Grounds, we get James to ground out to third. Hancock grounds out to short. Tanner strikes out looking. That's a ball game. It's 8-1. Let's go back and look real quick here. And let's just call it off together. Bottom one, Arkansas gets a leadoff runner on. Bottom two, Arkansas gets a leadoff runner on. Bottom three, they don't get the leadoff runner on, but the second guy hits a home run. So two of the first three innings, leadoff guy is on. Bottom of four, we get the leadoff guy to foul out, then we walk the next guy. Bottom of five, we walk Gregory to lead off the inning. Uh, six, we actually do a pretty good job here, get the first two outs, and then we give up a walk. You know, top of seven, excuse me, bottom of seven, it's a double to left, so again, the leadoff guy is on. We get to the eighth, and we walk the guy again. So you see the leadoff hitter is getting on more times than not. If it's not the leadoff guy, it's the second guy. Only one time in this ball game did we get two outs to start an inning, and then we still couldn't finish. So not, there's really nothing of redeeming value you can take from this ball game. Arkansas whipped us, plain and simple, and we helped them. We gave them the switch to do it. That's what's so crazy about every bit of this. It's like, you know what, even if we play clean, we probably lose the game. But when you go out there and you walk 11 hitters, you're going to lose the game. That's just how baseball works. You walk 11 hitters and then commit three errors, you're going to lose. And you're, you're probably going to lose substantially, which is what happened to Mississippi State. Again, I thought Preston Johnson had some decent moments, but uh, they jumped on him. We didn't help him. But he left a couple breaking balls up. Just four innings of work, seven hits, seven runs. All of them earned. Five walks, seven Ks, 97 pitches. And listen, again, we managed the bullpen pretty well here. We had some guys go eat up some innings. And it's like I read some things on social media, and I love you guys to death, but some of y'all make my head hurt. In a game that we're already down 7-1, to one, we're not going to bring Brooks Auger out there. It's kind of like last year. You know, we, we, Tuesday game, you know, we'd be up late in a, in a ball game that uh, didn't matter in midweek, and we want to bring Landon Sims in. Not that I'm saying Brooks Auger's on that level. But at this point, you're just trying to get through the game and kind of manage a weekend. So, again, not a good start, to say the least, for the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Let's get into game two. We'll knock this thing out here, right? 
let's get the bad stuff behind us first. Uh, Hagen Smith, I thought was really good for them. Parker Stinnett was not good for us. He's tagged for his first loss of the year. His worst outing of the year. He just simply could not find his own. And uh, I thought John Brammer, the uh, home plate umpire, actually gave us a pretty good zone. I was actually very fortunate, fortunate to sit right behind the, the, uh, the guy running the TrackMan software so I could kind of see when there was a, a borderline pitch where it was. And I, we didn't get a good zone on Friday, not that it mattered. That's with Scott Klein behind the plate. We did get a good zone on uh, Saturday and Sunday. I know some of you disagree because I read your commentary on social media. But as a guy that watched TrackMan on Sunday, I think maybe there was five pitches between the two teams where it was called incorrectly. And that's not to say TrackMan's perfect, but when you have that many pitches called and you only miss five, that's a pretty good ratio. It really is. Sometimes it's a big pitch, but the reality of it is we don't have an umpire to blame for our poor showing to Arkansas. Okay, top of first in game two. We actually do a pretty good job here. We always talk about getting a quick start here. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort, so no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to Tecovas 
Com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. We did a good job working counts. We get a ground out. Hancock hit leadoff. We get a ground out, and then Cam walks, Hunter walks, and Logan Tanner walks. So the bases are loaded with less than two outs. We need the big hit here. We basically got the minimum expectation. We get a sack fly here to get a run home. If we can get a ball in a gap right there, it might be a different conversation today. It might be. Very much a missed opportunity. But, you know, again, it's, it's missed opportunities for State that kind of haunts us. You know, again, we get the bare minimum here. And uh, I just think to myself, you know, if that ball gets down, the ball finds a gap somewhere, and let's say you put up three in the first inning, you know, what does that do to Parker's net? I mean, obviously you want to get the guy a lead here. And I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, that – he maybe he has a better day, but I think maybe it helps him relax a little bit, and maybe that leads to a better outing. He does a really good job there in the first. We get a ground out to third. We get a strikeout swinging, and then Turner flies out to right. Not the most efficient inning, but we didn't spend a ton of pitches here. But again, a one-two-three inning. Top of second, a one-two-three inning for them. Jaeger strikes out swinging. Quarter flies out to right. Forsyth strikes out looking. Precarious lead there. Didn't last for much longer. Bottom of second, they get to us. And, again, we aid in our own demise here. Lanzilli lines out to right. Then we walk Bob Moore. We walk Braden Webb. And then Slavens, who has done next to nothing this year, he walks on four straight pitches. So now the bases are loaded. What do you do? I mean, and that's the thing with Parker Sinet that we've seen, and this is not necessarily a criticism, just more of an observation. When things go south with him, they go south quickly. We saw it last week. You know, he had five really good innings. He gets to the six. He can't get out. It just came in a second this time. Battles and grounds to a fielder's choice. Uh, we're able to force the runner at second. We can't turn two. A run scores. The game is tied. And now we're one pitch away from getting out of this, though. You think, okay, let's just – we can play it clean. We'll get out of here. Well, then we hit, we hit a guy. Um <laughs> – and so now, again, now all of a sudden, you're in trouble. Wallace and singles to left, two runs scored. Now it's 3-1. We compound it again. It's a hit by pitch to Stovall. Stovall then goes on a wild pitch, and a run scores. It's 4-1. And every bit of this is on us. This isn't Arkansas just barreling us up. This is us putting our backs against the wall and then sitting there and taking punches. Again, you walk the bases loaded. You can't turn two. We do. We hit by pitch. We finally give up a hit in the inning, and then we hit another guy. And there's a wild pitch, and uh, three three more runs are, are in. Uh, before I mean, you know, they were really kind of unnecessary. So it's four to one, and at this point, it's four to one. Arkansas has one hit in the game. One. You got to make them hit their way on. You can't sit there and dance around the issue. At some point, you got to go compete. And Parker Sinnett did not compete in the second inning. He absolutely did not. I don't know if he had a blister. I don't know if he had a stomach virus. I don't know if he had a migraine headache. I just know this. We gave them four runs in the second inning. And that is as honest as an assessment as I can make about all of this. We gave this inning to them. 
And with a team as good as Arkansas, you give them a running start, they're going to run you out of the stadium. And that's exactly what happened. And it all started right here. What if we get one, two, three in this inning and we get out of this thing with a one nothing lead? Yes, maybe it's a different conversation today. And again, you know, baseball is a game of what ifs. But, you know, the what in this situation was is that we, we had a very poor pitching performance in this second inning that allowed some separation early in this ball game and allowed doubt to creep in our own minds here. Top of third, Hancock ground, flies out to left. James grounds out to second. Hind strikes out swinging. And, again, very efficient inning here. You know, you're not making him compete. He throws 27 pitches in the first inning. And then, you know, here we are in the third inning. You know, we're trying to scrap back into this game. It is a two-pitch at bat for Hancock, a two-pitch at bat for James, and then a three-pitch at bat uh, for Hunter Hines. So what is it, seven pitches in the inning? Seven pitches. And all of a sudden, they're right back on offense. I go right back to work. Kim Tower's in the game. And what do we do? We walk the first two hitters. Fortunately, we're able to get a double play. Webb grounds in a double play. So, again, now we're a pitch away from getting out of this without any runs being scored. But we, uh, we throw a tank here and Slavin's homers to right field. Again, a guy that's done next to nothing in league play. Had a really good ball game against us. Now it's a 6-1 game. Battles follows with a single. Then we walk Gregory, the nine-hole hitter. And then Wallace doubles to left center and two more runs are in. It's an 8-1 ball game. And it is at this point we are being jeered and taunted at Baumwalker Stadium. We are absolutely imploding here. And, again, if you're Fox Hall Lamontis, you think, you know what, I'm not going to send another big arm out here against these cats tonight. This game is over. i got to play for Sunday. And that's how baseball works. Every game matters. And when one game is over, you don't want to go run an arm out there that's going to cost you potential winning a game later in the weekend. They made it easy for us. They did. Well, we helped, but they made that decision easy for us. Top of four, Logan pops up to second. Clark gets another hit, an uh, infield single here, and then Cumbus pops up to first. Jaeger lines out to center. We're putting ball in play here. It's not getting a lot of solid contact. Jaeger was one of the guys I thought hit the baseball well all weekend, didn't have a lot to show for it. Bottom of four, Arkansas is not done. I'm sure they love to see Cam Tuller coming out there. It's a fly out to right, and then it's back-to-back home runs. Makes it a 10-1 ball game, and then we, we hit Webb with the pitch. Casey Hunt comes in. And listen, Casey Hunt is not going to be the savior for this pitching staff. But he could be a guy that makes you know the workload a little bit lighter. You know, I don't know if he's going to be back to 100% or not. I don't know if he is. But I thought that he came out and competed and was really the first guy on the weekend for Mississippi State to consistently throw strikes. He, I thought he came out there and really competed. And, again, this game is over. It's about getting some work. We give up a stolen base, but then we get a punch out looking, and then we get a line out to first. And that ball, that ball was tattooed right at Luke. But, again, Casey gets us out of the inning. And he's going to get better every time we see him. I believe that. Top of five, State leadoff hitter, uh, quarter triples to right field and they misplay it here it's really a single that they misplay and turn it into a triple so quarter you know, quarter is in lineup because uh, Jess Davis as good as he is defensively and as good as he has been against right-handers really struggles against lefties 
So you put the right-handed stick in there and try to make some things happen. Quarter comes through here, again, to triple right field. Uh, Forsyth then strikes out swinging. And, you know, right here, it's a three-pitch at bat. But we've got to find a way to, to elevate a ball here, put a ball and play to the right side, do something here uh, to, to get that run home. We don't. Fortunately, uh, Luke Hancock comes through and takes a full-count pitch over the right field wall to make it a 10-3 ball game. And again, Luke's not quitting. And then Cam grounds out the short. Hines strikes out looking. Again, tough weekend for Hunter Hunts, and he will be fine. Still believe he's going to be a freshman All-American. So it's 10-3. Again, we're not within striking distance, but, uh, again, it was good to see that we didn't, we didn't quit, at least at the plate. And then uh, Arkansas gets one of those runs right back. Gregory, the nine-hole hitter, hits a bomb to make it 11-3. And then KC gets a K looking, ground out to first, and a ground out to third. So, again, a, a decent, what we would call a rehab appearance for KC. You know, he faces these guys and, uh, you know, goes, what, uh, an inning and two-thirds, gives up the one hit. You know, it happened to be a home run. But, listen, in a 10-3 ball game, I don't need a guy nibbling. I need a guy challenging hitters and trying to get the game over, and he did. So, again, when, you, when, you're, going, when you're challenging guys, occasionally they're going to get you. Some guys are going to respond, and he did. Top of six. We don't respond. One, two, three inning. Tanner grounds out to third. Clark flies out to left. Pretty lengthy at bat, though. And then Cumba strikes out swinging. Brett had a handful of strikeouts on the weekend. He'll get it going. Uh, bottom of six, we bring in Jack Walker. And if there was a bright spot on this Saturday game, it was Jack Walker. I mean, And not to diminish Casey Hunt, but maybe if something else, maybe we found a couple guys. And let's be fair, too. These are not high-stress innings because the game is already separated. They're not. But Jack Walker hadn't pitched in forever. So we'll give him a chance to get out there and get some work in and also to save an arm or two for, for Sunday. Walker gets the ground out. Then we hit a guy. Webb flies out to center. We got a chance to get out of it. And then Slavin's doubles, drives in a run. It's now 12-3. And then we walk battles and we get a ground out to third. So, again, I understand the kid is probably a little bit gun shy. But, again, I'm just trying to throw strikes here. You know, I don't like to see the walk. I'm actually okay giving up the double. I just don't want to see a hit-by-pitch in the walk. I just I don't want to see that, especially in a game like that. Our right, top of seven, uh, they changed pitchers again. And uh, we actually, you know, we're able to mount a little offense here. And, again, it's, it's, an eight, it's a nine-run ball game. So, it's not like, you know, that they're, they're throwing big arms either. They're just trying to get some guys some work. Jaeger grounds out to third. And, again, I hit the ball hard. Just hat right, right at somebody. Quarter walks. Good at bat there. And then Lane Forsyth singles to right field. They, they misplay it. Quarter comes around and scores. And Forsyth goes all the way to third. Hancock then strikes out swinging. And James strikes out swinging. And, again, here we are. I don't care what the score is. But you've got your number two and number three hitters up there. And you've got a runner at third. We can't get a ball in the air. We don't even put the ball in play. That's not going to get it done. That's not going to get it done. They'll take it the same, but the reality of it is, in those situations, we got to come through. Somebody's got to come through. You got to make it your team. Bottom of seven, Walker's still out there. We get a ground out to third, a fly out to left. We do walk a guy, but then we get Lanzoli to fly out to center field. So, yes, not a perfect inning. We don't give up anything here. We don't even surrender a hit in the inning. But, again, I'm not happy with the walk. And, and I can promise you Fox, Hall, and Monas aren't either. But it's still good to see the kid get out there, be around the plate, 
and have a chance to kind of get some confidence back. And this is an Arkansas team, too, that smelled blood in the water. Trust me. Top of eight, Hines grounds out to second. Tanner flies out to center field. And then Clark dumps a single in the left field. Again, nice to see him going the other way. He's still second. I don't think there's any quitting him either. Cumbus then reaches on a fielding error, and Clark comes around to score. Uh, you know, should have made the play here. They don't. And it's a 12-5 ball game. And, again, good to see Brad put the ball in play. Brad, when he puts it in play more times than not, uh, has an opportunity to beat it out. He has a lot of those, uh, you know, 75-foot base hits sometimes where he'll just kind of roll it by the mound. He'll kind of hit, get, they'll get under the barrel a little bit. and he's strong enough, it, it becomes a bit of an issue for the defense. Jaeger then grounds out the first unassisted. But, again, it's a 12-5 ball game. I mean, the game's over. Bottom of eight, Walker's still out there. We get a one, two, three inning. Moore flies out to center. Webb fouls out to third. Slavin grounds out to second. Very efficient inning for Jack Walker here. So the first inning, he's back out there. He hits a guy and walks a guy. The second inning, he walks a guy. The third inning, it's a one, two, three inning. And, and very efficient. Two pitch at bat, two pitch at bat, one pitch at bat. That, 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 that dog will hunt right there. A five, in, five pitch inning uh, for Jack. And in top of nine, they bring in another pitcher, and uh, we don't do much here. It's a one, two, three inning. Quarter flies out to right. McGowan grounds out to second. Hancock grounds out to short. And that's ball game. 12-5 Razorbacks. The series is won again, and it looks like a sweep is probable. Not just possible, but probable. Look at the box score. Again, not a lot of heroes here. You look at it and you say, you know what, they, you know, this guy had a good ball game. Kellum Clark, your best offensive player on the day. Two for three, a run scored and one RBI. That's your offensive highlight. You only had five hits as a team. You left five on base, which means you're not getting guys on. They walked four. We didn't make them pay. You know, that, that's the kind of stuff that drives you crazy. At some point, you know, you got to have a little bit of attitude about you. At some point, you got to say, you know what, I got an M over S over my cap. You know, I'm not just representing myself and my family. I'm representing Mississippi State and the tradition that goes along with this baseball program. And so I've got a responsibility to go out there and give my best. I'm not going to sit here and tell you guys aren't trying. But when we're walking the ballpark, that's not Mississippi State baseball. And people say, well, you know, we're doing our best. Well, you know, maybe your best isn't good enough. You know, and I understand there are some guys that are having to pitch more than we're expected. But we don't go out there and recruit a bunch of developmental guys. You know, we recruit guys that are going to come in here and produce early in their careers. You don't just bide your time and maybe you jump in there and play as a junior. No, no, no. If you're not producing early in your career, you're going to be in the portal. You're going to be at junior college. So Parker Stinnett goes 1.2 innings, gives up the one hit, uh, four runs, uh, all four of them earned, three walks, two hit-by-pitches, a wild pitch, gets the 1K. He just didn't have it. And I don't know if he goes back on the weekend. I think you gotta you got to look at it and kind of figure out what you want to do. And maybe this weekend's a weekend you make a change. I don't know. Does Pico start? I mean, maybe he does. That gives you a right-left-righty deal. Cam Tuller, 1.2 innings pitch, five hits, six runs, all of them earned, three walks, no strikeouts, wild pitch. And this is a guy, too, at times that is, uh, puts together some decent innings for us, but more times than not, he hadn't. And you need a left-hander that's going to be able to match up out of the bullpen. Maybe he is a one-to-two at-bat pitcher. Maybe that's his contribution. Again, Casey Hunt comes back, makes his second appearance of the season. 1.2 innings, and again, the only hits, the, uh, the solo home run he gives up. He gets a couple punch outs. Doesn't walk anybody, doesn't hit anybody. 21 pitches. You know, and again, not going to be the savior, 
but he could do a lot as far as managing this game. Uh, Jack Walker, three innings pitch, the one hit, one run, and uh, two walks, and uh, the one hit by pitch. So we got to clean some things up. But again, when he got in trouble, he didn't get in a lot. Of, he didn't get in big trouble. One of the questions I want to pose to people too: It took us 150 pitches to get through this game. When the game is already decided, uh, who should pitch? I mean, somebody's got to eat up these innings, right? These these dead innings for us. Somebody has to do it. And so I, I see on – why are we trotting this guy back out there again? Guys, when the game is over, the game is over. And you say, oh, it's a white flag. Guys, when we're down 8, 9, 10, 1, it, it doesn't matter if we pull a kid out of the stands. We're just trying to get the game over. You can say, well, Steve, I'm not a quitter. Well, you know, maybe you haven't had to manage through you know, putting together a pitching staff to manage through a weekend at any level. And so I, I say that because I, I see some of these comments, and I know there are a lot of people that love college baseball that don't know baseball, but how are we supposed to manage these 150 pitches? And does it really matter if you get beat 15 to 1 or 8 1 or 9 1? Does it really matter? At that point, I'm just trying to manage the weekend. I'm just trying to get the game over and save some bullets in the bullpen for Sunday. And that's what happened here. And along the way here, we found out there's a couple guys on the back end. And, again, I get it. It's not high-pressure innings. You got a couple guys that um, needed some work and got some work, and hopefully we've got them back on track. I want to take some time at this point, though, and uh, kind of give you a preview uh, your prime shrimp player of the weekend, we could go uh, We could go a couple different directions, and uh, we're not going to make a decision. We're going to go with two players. We're going to give it to Luke Hancock, and we're going to give it to Jackson Fristo, and we're going pre- to talk about that game uh, after the top ten list. Jackson Fristo, absolutely outstanding for Mississippi State on Sunday. I mean, and really, we talk about making big pitches and pressure innings. He did that, and that was something he struggled with last year. He had a really, really good week. Pitched exceptionally well at Memphis and then pitched exceptionally well uh, this weekend at Fayetteville on Sunday. Prime Shrimp, they're here to serve you. And I'm telling you this, Prime Shrimp is outstanding. This isn't just a great company that makes it easy. This is a great company providing a great product at a great price. Delivered directly to your door. You get New Orleans-based Prime Shrimp delivering a very well-packaged and very well-insulated Order of shrimp to your home. And Lisa, well, Steve, you know, it's so much trouble. No, not with prime shrimp. You don't have to devein it. You don't have to peel it. It's already done for you. These fine folks have been peeling shrimp since the 1940s. They know exactly what's going on. They know what you want, too. Three great flavors out there. You get the French Quarter Alfredo. You get the Simply Season. You get the Louisiana Crab Bowl. Uh, None of it, none of it is going to be something you turn your nose up. You're going to say, you know what, I want to get that again. A lot of great reviews from you guys, too. PrimeShrimp.com. Go check them out today. And uh, use promo code BONEYARD to save a little money. It's two, It's a delicious cooked shrimp in less than 10 minutes. How many times have you said, you know what? I'd like to have a salad for dinner and eat a little bit light, but I'd like some protein. Man, how, would a, how great would a shrimp salad be? It's perfect, man. You boil that pot of water. You open up that pouch, that prepackaged pouch, and you just dump the shrimp in. Come back 10 minutes later, boom, top that salad with some shrimp. You're feeling great about life. Again, check them out today, primeshrimp.com, promo code BONEYARD. All right, so, again, Luke Hancock, a great weekend. Talked to him on Friday. I thought Luke was uh, the most consistent offensive player throughout the weekend and, of course, made a big defensive play on Sunday. We're going to detail that a little bit later in the show. 
But I thought he and Jackson Fristo, it's our first time we've had co-prime strength players of the weekend. Uh, we don't win on Sunday without Luke Hancock and without Jackson Fristo. And I think Luke Hancock has got to be one of our leaders, and not just in word, but in deed. I think you saw that. And you know, all of a sudden, Jackson Fristo has kind of been born again hard. And I've read some comments, maybe when you move him back to start rotation, I think now that we've kind of got him going, let's kind of leave him where he is. Do you understand what I'm saying? I was like, hey, let, let's – this is working. We All year long we have kind of complained about, hey, we have nobody on the back end. Well, now we have a guy that's emerging. Let's leave him on the back end because we're going to need him maybe to cap a game for Preston Johnson or for whoever the Saturday starter is or Cade Smith. And so if you move him and replace Parker Stanett in rotation, you still don't have anybody on the back end. So I think that's what you got to do is leave Risto where he is. Now – you know, Chris Lamontis may disagree completely and uh, change that whole ideology and say, you know what, this is what we're going to do, Steve. We're going to go ahead and do this. Maybe we do. All right, time for the top ten list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. Blair Chandler, a great friend of mine, a great friend of yours, and he is a friend in the mortgage lending industry. There's so many people out there that want your business. Blair is a guy that deserves your business. 21 years in the industry, top 1% close ratio in the country. Not just in Stone County, not just in Pelahatchie, we're talking nationally. Working for Fairway Mortgage, recently voted number one in customer experiences, second in the industry last year domestically, and closed loan volume. Be sure and check it out. Go to closewithblair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Maybe you're looking to refinance. Maybe you need to get some cash out to pay for a wedding or pay for a pool or whatever. I don't know what your life looks like, but maybe you need some cash. And rather than go you know, get some high interest rate loan, get your equity working for you. Because, of course, that interest is tax deductible. Also, if maybe you're looking to buy a home for the first time, or maybe you're an atypical borrower that's been denied in the past, Blair is a guy that's seen it all. He can get you taken care of. Visit him today at closeofblair.com. And let me give you his personal cell number. Rather than have to go through a receptionist or, you know, some phone tree or something like that, or leave a voicemail that you may never get returned, Call him directly or text him today at 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. That's closewithblair.com. All right, so I had a friend reach out uh, after we talked about Peter Chris last week on the uh, the Kiss List. And, uh, you know, Mondays we normally, recently we've been doing the uh, top 10 albums from from legendary artists. We're going to do that on Wednesday. But I thought, well, Strike While the Iron is Hot here. I said, you know, Steve, what about other drummers that had hit singles? Or had hits. And so it kind of got me down this line of thinking, what about drummers turned singers that uh, had some great success? I've had some people throw out, you know, Chris Cornell, of course, was a guy that would play drums, guitar, bass, could play everything. Uh, He didn't make our list, but uh, that's one that you can think of, certainly. Steve Perry is a guy from Journey that played some on the drums. Uh, Didn't move from behind the kit to the mic with Journey, but uh, was certainly a guy that uh, was very talented and still is in many respects. But, uh, you know, of course, he's had some vocal issues. So here is our list. Oh, and I didn't put Ringo Starr on the list. I know he had about a dozen solo albums after the Beatles. I just didn't find it very good. I know many of you do and did, and you have my respect. It's just not my cup of tea. But here we go. Top 10, and this is going to be some modern stuff and some classic stuff and some things maybe you didn't know and didn't see coming. Uh, Number 10, I listened to this band a lot on my way to Arkansas. They haven't done anything in a while, but they were a great octane band on Sirius XM, kind of in the beginning. 
It's uh, Stephen Richards from the band Taproot. Probably one of the only bands on this list that you don't know. Taproot, a great band. They have kind of a haunting sound. They do some weird things vocally. The tunings on the guitar are very, very different. They are unlike anybody else. I love the song Fractured off the Plead the Fifth album. I didn't go that way. I went with um, the, the song Calling. Calling, which I think is probably the signature track. A lot of people like Poem. I love that one, too. But for our list, we're going Calling. If you're looking for a rock band, kind of an alternative rock band that maybe you're unfamiliar with, that you want to try something different, give Taproot a listen. Number nine, many of you didn't know this young lady was a drummer. And she was the drummer in the punk rock band The Germs. You say, Steve, I never heard of them, and that's okay. It's Belinda Carlisle. That's right. You didn't know that. Everybody thinks, oh, Belinda Carlisle is an adult contemporary artist. She got her start in punk. She was also the original drummer in the band The Go-Go's and then left the kit to be the lead singer. And uh, we could have gone a lot of different directions here. I know The Go-Go's were huge in the early 80s. But we're going to go with We Got the Beat because it kind of matches the theme here. We Got the Beat. We Got the Beat. We Got the Beat. Yeah. We got it. All right, number eight, a Mississippi boy from Escatawpa, Mississippi. You know exactly who I'm talking about if you're a fan of the band Three Doors Down. recently played in Tupelo, and my youngest, Ian, was there to see the show. I saw that tour with Seether here a couple months ago at the Brandon Amphitheater. I have heard from many of my friends that went over to the show in Tupelo and said that it was outstanding. I hope you guys had a chance to go check it out. I'm a big Brad Arnold fan. I'm a big Three Doors Down fan. You should be as well. I went back to the lead single because Brad actually played drums on this album. You know, the uh, the Better Life. You know, he was the drummer and then became the singer ultimately. But uh, Kryptonite, we're going back to the beginning. Kryptonite is your number eight song from Brad Arnold and Three Doors Down. Number seven, one of the greatest drummers of my lifetime. I've seen this guy play a drum solo in a rotating drum kit. I saw him in Jackson, Mississippi with a drum kit at the top of the Coliseum, play some old uh, you know, classic rock covers, Back in Black and things like that. Yeah, we're talking about Tommy Lee. You know, Tommy had a little bit of a solo career too. Of course, he left Motley during the hiatus and uh, you know, Randy Castilla took over for a while. They had a couple of different people in and out of there. When Tommy and Pam were, uh, were together, Tommy kind of took a, a, a step away from Motley and did Methods of Mayhem. We're not going to do a Method song today. We're going to do one of Tommy's solo tracks. My favorite one with Butch Walker. If you know Butch, you know what I'm talking about. It's the song Good Times. There are a lot of days when I'm feeling bad or I'm depressed, whatever. I put this song on, it always lightens my mood. It's Good Times by Tommy Lee. Number seven song. And I think that's on Tommy Land the Ride. All right, number six. This guy still plays drums live. It shows like he'll sing and then all of a sudden they'll bring out a second drum kit and he and the drummer from his band will basically kind of compete. You have dual drummers out there. It's uh, Sully Erna from Godsmack. We've talked about them on the show before. Uh, I, I love Godsmack and I was kind of late on that train because he and Nikki Six were feuding for a while and I got, I got a side with my guy. But uh, I got over that and I've seen Godsmack play live multiple times and it is a great time every time I go. We have talked about them on the show, but I'm going to go with Bad Religion here. I love Bad Religion. I, I think the drums on this one are outstanding. And Sully plays a lot of drum stuff early in the Godsmack catalog. 
this is one of those songs, too, that I think kind of typifies their sound. All right, number five, the rest of these are pretty much classics. Number five, we're going back to the Eagles. It's Don Henley. Not only did Don uh, write and record a lot of good songs vocally with the Eagles, he had a very, very successful solo career. But we're going to go back to perhaps the uh, the song that uh, I, th- in many ways, is his opus, and that's Hotel California. I don't know if we've ever had that one on the show other than with the, uh, the Eagles' top ten. So Don Henley from the Eagles, Hotel California. Number four, I love this band, and I don't know that this generation has fully given them an opportunity. Uh, it is the band, the band. That's the name of the band, is the band. I know I'm kind of talking in circles there. But Levon Helm was an absolute treasure. We lost him a few years ago. Uh, our buddy Zach Myers from Shinedown named his son after Levon Helm. Levon's a guy, too, that uh, an incredible songwriter, became a great singer as well from behind the kit. Uh, you know, The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down is an absolute standard. A lot, of, a lot of people sing that song. They cover that. A lot of bands do. But I went with The Wait. I think The Wait is, uh, is probably a great, great Levon Helm song. And if you've ever seen the movie Shooter with Mark Wahlberg, you also saw Levon Helm. When uh, they made the trip into the foothills of Tennessee to go see the guy that told them all about, the, uh, about paper patching, right? How you shoot a bullet from one gun into another and not change the, uh, the striations on it. Well, that's Levon Helm. You remember he said that's how a conspiracy works. Like the two guys in the grassy knoll, they're buried out near Earl Lingua. And the guy says, well, how, Agent Nick Memphis says, how do you know that? Levon says, still got the shovel. So Levon Helm, number four from the band. If you've never watched The Last Waltz, let me encourage you to do that. It's outstanding. Number three, another guy that had a great career as a bandmate and a super career as a solo artist. We're going Phil Collins from Genesis. Phil Collins from Genesis. Now, I could have gone with a solo track here. I elected to go with one of the more rocking Genesis songs. I know many of you are thinking, oh, Steve, it's going to be in the air tonight. It's not. Maybe we should have gone that way, but I didn't because it really you know, kind of showed Phil Collins' drumming skills. And then on his earlier albums, he played every instrument. I mean, the guy's a savant. But I went with Land of Confusion. Land of Confusion. We've had that on the show before. Phil Collins, Land of Confusion. Number two, and you knew this name was coming at some point, it's Dave Grohl. Of course, he uh, was made famous by being the drummer in Nirvana. You know my feelings about Nirvana. I think the best thing to come out of Nirvana is Dave Grohl. I love the Foo Fighters, and like Phil Collins, in the very first album or two, Dave Grohl played every instrument, wrote every song, did it all himself. And many of these songs were songs that he originally wrote for Nirvana, but didn't have the confidence to pitch those songs. And so when Nirvana was no more, made his own album. So we're going back to Big Me, which is, uh, it's not the most rocking tune, but it's one that we've never really talked a whole lot about on the show. And it's uh, one that really kind of catapulted Dave Grohl from kind of the guy from Nirvana to being Dave Grohl. And people say the nicest guy in the rock industry to this day. Number one, though, you can think, man, who in the world could be number one when Dave Grohl's number two? Many of you don't even know that this guy was a drummer. Matter of fact, he started out as a drummer and uh, played extensively up the East Coast. And uh, even to this day, has given his current drummer absolute unshirted hell about his drumming. 
And we're talking Steven Tyler from Aerosmith. Oh, I didn't. Yes, he was a drummer. If you've read Walk This Way, and I have, you would know this. Steven Tyler, an outstanding drummer, but uh, better up front. One of the greatest frontmen in the history of rock music. And I wanted to go with the song that Steven actually played on. It's Living on the Edge. There's the part in that song, too, where there is this solitary bass drum, and it is the bass drum that Steven Tyler stole from his high school. He played drums in high school. He stole the drum and still has it all these years later and played it on Living on the Edge. You know that part where it stops, and all of a sudden you hear this boom, boom. That's, that's it. That's him playing the bass drum. So there you go. Top ten drummers who became singers. And uh, we really ran the gamut today, didn't we? A lot of different people, a lot of cool names on this list. Anytime that we can work in taproot to a list, along with the band and then Aerosmith, uh, that's a pretty solid list. And then, of course, uh, yeah, Belinda Carlisle. I-, I love being able to share little nuggets about music trivia that many of you don't know, and I think most of you didn't know she was a drummer, an outstanding drummer, too. You go back, you can find some of her earlier stuff online. You'll be amazed at how good she is. You'd think, oh, well, she's just this woman that sings this kind of adult contemporary type music, and that's not how she started. Big Iggy Pop fan in her earlier days. Said she went and saw the Stooges, and it was a a changing moment in her life. Go-Go's were a a punk band in the beginning, too. One of the first all-girl bands to really have success internationally, the Go-Go's. So there you go. If you have ideas for a top ten list, reach out and let me know. I'm happy to talk about them. Uh, Roy Keeps Celeste, you can find him on Twitter at, at Dogmatic, that's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. Give him your ideas, he'll forward them to me. You send them to me, I'm going to forward them to him. He keeps a list. You can save, uh, you know, save a little time and trouble getting it directly to him. And uh, so we're running through that list, and sometimes I get ideas that I really like, and so I may bump your idea back a little bit, but we will get to all of them eventually. A lot of you guys reach out, and you, you mentioned bands that we've already done, and uh, somebody reached out to me yesterday and said, hey, you haven't done this band, and I have, but we're going to do them on Wednesday as we do their top ten albums, and I'm really excited about it, one of my favorite bands of all time. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. I love Campus Bookmart. You will, too. If you had not been in there, you need to go check them out. Stand Man, the lovely, talented Susie. That's worth the price of admission right there. And then Miss Kathy Brown, perhaps the best buyer in the Mississippi State merchandising business. If it's got maroon and white on it and an M over S logo, she's going to have it on sale for you. And if you see it and they don't have it, she'll get it. She's outstanding. Go by and check them out today. If you can't make it to town, let me encourage you to visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. And that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. Now, it is beginning to warm up. So we've already kind of stocked up on those hoodies. You know, it's especially think about the kids. You're going to be bringing the kids to the ball game. Why don't you go ahead and surprise them with some new Mississippi State merch? It'll make the trip that much more fun, right? There's nothing better than being able to buy things for your kids. You know, I was in, in Arkansas over the weekend, had a chance to take Arnie and his family out and buy dinner. You know how it is. You, meet, you enjoy spoiling your kids even if they're grown. And so maybe, mom, dad, you've got some grown kids. Maybe they're in college. Maybe they're married. How about surprise them? Send them some Mississippi State merch for no reason at all other than the fact that you love them. Campus Bookmart is there to help you. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code 
BSR. All right, let's get into game three. This is the one we want to talk about, right? And here's the deal. We had lost eight in our early guys, and so... Yeah, we just needed to find a way to get one. It took us 12 innings to exercise the, the hoghead demons, but we did. It's crazy to think about all we've accomplished the last few years, and these guys have absolutely had our number. And Christopher Griffin was the home plate umpire. I told you guys I thought he was outstanding. I know many of you, I saw your stuff on social media. Oh, the wide plate hurt us. Guys, I was looking, every time I saw a pitch I disagreed with, I looked at Trackman, and 90% of the time I was wrong. My perception was wrong. Trackman and the umpire agreed. And I think it worked for both teams. And there were a couple pitches, too, that uh, were off the plate. Like Luke got punched out on one that was well off the plate. That's one of the five. And then um, Turner got punched out on one that was a little bit in. But it was, again, we'll get to that one a little bit later. It wasn't in by much, and it was too close to take on two strikes. So let's jump in here. Again, this was decided by the bullpens, but uh, we got a great start from Cade Smith. And, and let me talk about Cade for a second here. So the future of this program is going to be determined by people like Cade Smith. The guy's outstanding, but here is what I love about Cade Smith. It's not that he's ultra-talented. He is. It's not that we're fortunate to have him because if we had had a full draft in 2020, he wouldn't be here. He'd have been drafted. He plays and pitches with an edge he has an attitude not a bad attitude but he's got a little bit of that come and get it attitude he's like you know what let's go you want to you want to beat mississippi state you got to go through me and he pitches that way he believes that he can get anybody out that's the nucleus of this team moving forward and people that share that same ideology are what's going to get mississippi state back to a NAFL championship Cade Smith is the kind of player that we want to have at Mississippi State. We want, and to be honest with you, I want them all to be like him, where he believes playing at Mississippi State is the greatest thing in the world. Guy grew up a Mississippi State fan, always wanted to be here. He has given us a great effort, and he is the one that really set the tone on Sunday. Now, to be fair, he got a little help in the first inning there. McGowan, who was back in the lineup, and uh, again, this is a lefty here. I guess, you know, I don't know what the splits are, and maybe you hadn't played McGowan in a while. You want to give him an opportunity. He did not have good at bats early in the ball game, uh, but Drew is a very good defender, and uh, you know, still trying to kind of settle that center field spot. My honest opinion is, I'm going to go with Jess against lefties, and probably quarter against, excuse me, Jess against righties, and probably quarter against against lefties. Because Jess just can't hit lefties. He just, he just can't. Uh, McGowan, though, strikes out looking here. Then Cam James grounds out to third. And then the hammer, the very first pitch that he sees from Jackson Wiggins, who was 95-98 most of the game, is a bomb to right field. And, again, this is Luke Hancock kind of exerting his leadership. Let's say, okay, let's go. Let's go. LT then grounds out to third. But, again, a pretty quality of bat there for LT. But it's one nothing after a half inning. And then Cade Smith goes out there and says, hey, what, guys, uh, Arkansas, I know you're looking for a sweep. Not today. One, two, three, Wallace K swinging, Stovall K swinging, Turner K swinging. Top of second. Not much going for Mississippi State here. Hind strikes out swinging. And, again, a decent at bat here. The strikeout didn't look good late, but I thought he worked the count pretty well here. Seeing the baseball a bit better. He'll have a big wig this week. Trust me. I just feel it. Uh, Calum Clark then flies out to right. Cumbus flies out to center. So not much going there. 
you know, not not much in that respect. We, we didn't get get back on the board, but uh, again, I think Cade is in good a good position here. We get in the bottom of second. We get a strikeout looking. That's four consecutive strikeouts. Uh, Robert Moore finally puts a ball in play, grounds out the second. Then we walk Webb, and then there's a wild pitch. He takes off. We walk Slavin. So we have now pitched, again, pitched ourselves into some trepidation, and we get a ground out to short, and it uh, gets us out of the inning. But, again, even as great as Cade was, we had a little issue here. We couldn't finish Slavin's. And sometimes you just got to punt. But we just couldn't do it. That was a battle that Slavens won, and, and I give the guy credit. He really hung in there and, uh, and performed like we, you know, we expected him to do back in the preseason. But, again, we get out of it, one nothing after second. Top of third, State adds to the lead, and R.J. Yeager takes a 1-0 pitch well over the field, left field wall to make it 2 nothing Mississippi State. They were not calling the Hogs after that one. Forsyth then grounds out to second. Actually hit the ball pretty well. McGowan strikes out looking. We, I talked about that earlier, and maybe that's a sign of rust. You know, early in the year, McGowan had a little clutch with him and maybe not playing for a while. It's kind of got him second-guessing at the plate a little bit. He takes the ball in the inner half there for a called strike three, and then James strikes out swinging. But, again, it's a Trenton ball game. We add. We're going to tack on here. And then Gregory inside-outs a pitch, a full-count pitch. And Again, we kind of had trouble finishing here, and then he's a little bit behind the fastball but takes it the other way. And it jumps out of the yard. Wind's blowing right to left. It was a little bit helpful there. We walk the next hitter. Again, having trouble finishing the guy. An elongated at bat here. We end up having to walk him. But rather than bow down, Cade Smith stands up. We get a, we get a punch out looking on Stovall, a strikeout swinging of Turner. And then Lanzilli uh, grounds out there to second. We force the runner at second base. A top of four, Hancock again, the hammer. Born again hard here. 2-0 count. He singles to center field. Tannerton flies out to left. Hines pops up to third, and Clark flies out to center. So we get the leadoff runner on in a 2-1 ball game, and we can't move him. We don't have any productive outs after that leadoff hit. That's got to change. Bottom of four, Arkansas ties it up. Bob Moore grounds out the short, and then Webb, who we couldn't finish earlier in the ball game, hits a home run to left field. Slavens grounds out the short. Battles pops up to first. And it's a 2-2 ball game. And again, at this point, I don't think anybody was ready to panic, but we're like, man, Kate is pitching so well, and it's a tie ball game. And we're at their place. They get the hit last. You'd like to see Cade lead with a lead. Didn't happen here. Top of five. Again, State gets a leadoff runner on. Cumbus walks. Really good at bat for Brad, who at the times this weekend really struggled to see the baseball. This is a good at bat here. And then Jaeger, again, the leadoff guy's on. We strike out looking, and then Forsyth singles to center field. And uh, let's talk about this play a little bit because apparently there was some confusion. All right, our friend Scott Klein was a second base umpire, and there is a sinking line drive that's hit towards right center. They lay out for it. He doesn't catch it. They call him out. Cumbus is hung up in between first and second base in no man's land. They call him out. He retreats to first base. Lamonis comes out and is like, hey, you called him out. He didn't catch a baseball. They review it, and then Cumbus is granted second, Forsyth granted first. I have heard from all of these people that have tried to say that it was the wrong call. It was absolutely the right call by the rules of baseball. Cumbus cannot be forced at second on a fly ball. He is the runner at first. He still has the ability to retreat to first base, just like he would at any other base. If he tags and takes off, that's one thing. 
But the rules of baseball require Arkansas to either tag Brad Cumbust or to force him at first base. They did neither of those things. Now, let's address Lane Forsyth. Lane hits a fly ball to center that is not caught. The rules of baseball dictate that you have to catch a fly ball in order for the hitter to be out. It was a bad call and a lazy call by Scott Klein. And basically, you know, our dugout's hollering, what's a call, what's a call? Because, again, Cumbus is out there in no man's land not knowing what to do because if he goes to second and they get up and double him at first, it's a double play. So they blew it. However, they go back, they review it, they get it correct. So while the call initially was horrendous, they get together as a staff and get it right. So, uh, again, I'm going to be critical of Scott Klein for not doing what he, doing his job. And he had a terrible week. You know, he's the one, of course, that, uh, you know, punched out the kid at Florida on Tuesday night against Florida State for stepping out of the box for four seconds. Four seconds. It's ridiculous. It, and the league needs to do something and address this. It is disrespectful to the game. It's disrespectful to the teams. It's disrespectful to the fans. They got to fix it. So he does that. He has this horrendous strike zone every single week, and it was horrendous Friday for both teams. I'm not trying to say we got shafted. And then on, on Sunday, he is too good to, to go out there and advance and make a call. So we assume a call rather than making the right call, and ultimately uh, it, it could have been a big play in the ballgame. Thankful for replay, we're able to kind of get that corrected. Now, we don't end up scoring here, but, again, this is another situation where State has a chance to get some separation. I just wanted to opine a little bit. I'm not a big fan of Perry Costello or Lestaglio or Scott Klein. I think it's time for a lot of those guys to retire. I think that they've just reached a point in their career that I don't know that they really care. I don't know these guys, but I would just say you know, based on their actions, I don't think that they are you know, happy officiating baseball. Because why would you not take more pride in your job than what we saw from Scott Klein last week. It is a joke, and Greg Sankey and SEC Baseball needs to act on it. Absolutely. All right, and so then McGowan is hit by the pitch, and they're kind of flustered a little bit. So now the bases are loaded with less than two outs. In the fifth inning, you got a chance here. You get a big base knock here. You got a chance to get a couple runs in. But instead, we ground out 6-4-3 double play. 0-2 count. Cam hits the ball hard, right shortstop, and they, uh, they run the double play here. And so – Again, a missed opportunity for Mississippi State. Bottom of five, Gregory grounds out the second. Wallace singles back up the middle. And then Stovall grounds out the short. And uh, we, we make the play at first. We're a pitch away from getting out of this thing. And then Turner hits a ground ball back towards the middle. It bounces off the head of our buddy Cade. And what a great presence of mind here for Logan Tanner to go collect the ball and throw to first and then go see about his teammate. So we, we end the inning here, and then there's, you know, Kate Smith walking around with, with blood gushing down his face, you know, his hat's off. And uh, I think some people thought maybe it was a line drive. It wasn't. It was just kind of a wicked grounder. But that end of the day for Kate Smith. Now, saw him in post game, talked to Chris Amonis in post game, and uh, Kate appeared to be fine. His dad was in front of me, as a matter of fact, uh, going down to talk to him, and uh, Cade was kind of grinning as his dad walked up and uh, appears to be no worse for wear. Not expected to miss any time. That's the latest word that I had. Not expected to miss any time, and again, Cade's fine. And that's a scary moment for a pitcher. And But uh, we get out, we navigate the situation 
and uh, everything appears to be fine with Cade. Now, everybody's back in Starkville now, so they'll, they'll watch him all week. But I can promise you Cade Smith's a Bulldog. He, he will want the baseball this weekend. And there's no reason he shouldn't have it unless he has a concussion or something. And uh, you got plenty of time to get that addressed. I'm not trying to put anything out there to drop you any hints. I don't believe there's going to be any issue at all with Cade Smith this week. All right, top of six, they make a pitching change. We get Wiggins out of the ball game. Cade Smith and Wiggins now out of the game. Both guys performed exceptionally well. It's a 2-2 game. They bring in Taylor, and he gets Hancock to fly out to center. And then LT, again, steps up. Big swing here. Solo home run. At this point, all five runs in the game have been scored on solo home runs. Hines and K's looking, and Clark strikes out looking. That ends the inning, but State again pushes ahead here. A bottom of six, Arkansas ties it up too. The last scoring for Arkansas happens in this inning. And if I had told you that we were going to be able to navigate through uh, six innings of bullpen and of scoreless bullpen pitching against Arkansas, you'd never believed it. But that's what happened. You bring in Brooks Auger here for Cade Smith. Lenzelli singles to short. Again, you know, just one of those things. Well-placed ball on the infield. It's not a play to be made there. We don't complicate the matter by throwing it away, though. More than walks. I actually thought we had a call here. We didn't get it. This borderline pitch. But we walk him. Niners runs at first and second. And for a team that doesn't bunt a lot, Arkansas was outstanding. Later, moving runners here. It didn't work out for them, but they made the smart baseball play. Um, this time it did, though. This is the one time that moving the runner works out good for them. Webb grounds out to third on the sag bunt and uh, moves the runners along. And then Slavens flies out to center field. There's a sack fly there. The run scores to tie the game at 3-3. More than takes third, and we get battles to strike out looking on a dandy fastball. Had him look and breaking ball and just pumped the fastball by him. So, again, Auger compounds the leadoff guy getting on. It's an infield single, and we walk a guy. So, we move the tie and run into scoring position ourselves without the benefit of a hit. And then they manufacture the run there. So, good baseball by Arkansas. But also too good for Brooks Auger for not you know, bowing down here. He kind of bowed his back and competed. Uh, top of seven, we, again, we get the leadoff runner on. Cumbus is hit by the pitch. And they go out there and bring in Zebulon Vermillion again. We get the leadoff guy on. But we're not, we don't move him. I mean, it, it, was, it was kind of like a broken record, right? All right. So Jaeger hits in the fielder's choice. They force Cumbus at second. If that ball's hit to the right side, it's a different scenario. We elect to pinch hit for Lane Forsyth of Von Siebert, and then he singles, and it's a hot shot that uh, Battles couldn't come up with, and he nearly kicked it in the left field. That ball was an absolute missile at his feet and just couldn't make the play. So now all of a sudden you've got runners at first and second. Again, a base hit here gives State the lead, a chance for a big hit, and Drew McGowan grounds into a double play. And give Arkansas a lot of credit on the infield there, very, very outstanding defensively. And that's what happens. You know, I mean, you have chances to make big plays. Vermillion makes a big pitch, rolls up the ground ball. They're out of the inning. That's just quality baseball. All right, bottom of seven, uh, Leggett goes in and plays. He pinch run for Siebert, so he stays in the game and plays short. Auger, one of his better innings in a uniform right here. Gregory flies out to center. Wallace pops up to second. And then a, an elongated at bat against Peyton Stovall, who is one of the highest drafted players selected to come to school. And this at-bat went on and on and on and on and on. 
and uh, we get a punch out. Oh, we get a strikeout swinging. Yeah, but we pump a pitch in there, and we get out of it. And I thought every time we, we did that, Auger got stronger and stronger and stronger. All right, they bring in uh, Tigert from uh, Lewisburg High School, and there are so many people that have so many strong opinions that we should get every player in the state of Mississippi. You know what? I wish that were the case. But I understand Arkansas was on Tigert very, very early, and uh, there is an Arkansas connection of sorts there. It'd be it's almost like, you know, if my kid, who was an all-state baseball player in Louisiana, if he had been recruited by Mississippi State, he would have gone to Mississippi State. There is nothing that LSU would have been able to do to get him. There are situations like this with other players, too. There are some people that grow up fans of other schools, and even though Mississippi State is an outstanding baseball program, you get a chance to go to your favorite school, you're going to go. And Tiger comes in and absolutely ties us up. Absolutely outstanding performance. He has that incredible breaking ball, changes speeds well, and can pump the fastball in there. He would have been a great addition to our team. We just don't get him. And that's just how it is. Sometimes I just like the other guys more. It's not anything personal. But it's a one, two, three inning. James, Hancock, Tanner, all K. All, all K. Bottom of eight. We got Auger out there for the most part matching him. We give up a leadoff single here, but we pitch around it. They lay the bunt down, move the uh, go-ahead run to second. We get a pop-up to third, and then we get Webb striking out looking on three pitches. Again, Auger just you know maturing before our eyes. Top of nine. State nothing going here again. One, two, three. All strikeouts. This time it's Hines, Clark, and Cumbust. Clark has really gotten there and battled a little bit, and uh, – you got beat on a, uh, a call looking there, probably too close to take with two strikes. But uh, listen, you tip your cap to Tiger. He was outstanding. Bottom of nine, here's where the drama begins to unfold. Slavin singles up the middle, so there's the winning run on base. They pinch run, and then again, we complicate the matter. We walk battles, which pushes the winning run to second. And then they laid down a perfect bunt, near perfect bunt. They move both runners along. Not second and third with just one down. We intentionally walk Wallace, Caden Wallace, who is a fabulous player. He probably the best star baseman I've seen us play this year. And we bring in Jackson Fristo with the bases loaded. And we did that at Georgia, too. And, and in the very first pitch, ends up being a walk-off hit. Not this day. Fristo goes out there and gets a strikeout swinging of Stovall, which was, an, and again, that's a righty-lefty deal right there. And he gets him. He gets ahead 0-2. There's a couple foul balls off, and then he K's him, swinging. So now all of a sudden we can play big infield here. We just need to get a uh, to get an out, and we get Turner to strike out looking. And this is one of those ones too that was a little bit off the plate. Even Trackman had it off, even the the black there. But here's the deal: the pitch before Fristo hit the same spot is a borderline pitch. He hits it. He comes back on the same pitch, and the umpire rewards him for hitting the mitt, and you pump him out there. You're not going to get back-to-back borderline calls as a hitter. It's not going to happen. When a guy's hitting his spot like that, and it's a great job of framing by LT, you're not going to get the call. That's, and you say, well, Steve, it's not fair. That's baseball. That's how it works. You can't sit up there and say, oh, I'm just going to sit here and let him walk me in. The, the umpire wants you to swing, too. They want to move the game along. And so here you are, bases loaded situation, chance to be the hero and get a sweep against Mississippi State, and you're caught watching the paint dry. Was it a little bit in? Yes, it was. Too close to take on two strikes. All right, so we had the extra innings. And again, Jackson Fristo, so much emotion coming off that mound, really excited about 
uh, his performance, to say the least. Top of 10, again, State with leadoff runner Jaeger singer, singles to center field. So here we go. We lay down a bunt, and we, I think we got one guy on the team that can bunt, and that's Tanner Leggett. I guess Lane can bunt too. I think we have two sack bunts on the year. Both of them are Tanner. So a sack bunt, we move Jaeger to second. We just need a base hit right here. Base hit to take the lead. McGowan and grounds out to second. It is at least a productive out. We take the runner to third. And then Cam comes up again, a chance to be the hero, and we ground out to second. Cam just didn't have a good weekend. I'm not worried about Cameron James. He's been a little bit streaky. I expect another streak to start this week. Bottom of 10, Fristo's back out there. There's nobody warming. It's his game. He gets Lanzilli to strike out swinging more than flies out to center field, and that was a very lengthy at bat. He fouled off, I guess, six or seven one-two pitches. Webb then singles to third, just no play there. It's one of those things that's kind of rolled by the mound. Cam gets it, recognizes there's no throw, and instead of forcing it, just eats it. The right play. They pinch hit for Bernardo, and then Diggs is a guy that also has an elongated at bat, but ends up grounding the ball right back to Fristo. And Fristo, a great job of filling his position here, grabs it and runs over and tosses it to Luke Hancock. Probably could have just run the race on out there. Uh, top of 11, State again gets a chance to get the go-ahead run on base here. Hancock grounds out to third, but then they walk LT on four straight pitches. And LT has been a guy late in ball games that has been a very, very patient hitter. If you watch him late in these ball games when there's extra innings or it's a tie ball game, he, he really makes them come to him. They didn't hear, so there's the walk. Hines then strikes out swinging. Of course, and Tiger's still in the game here. You know, we're still seeing this guy. All of a sudden, though, he's gotten a little deeper in his, in his outing. Breaking ball not quite as sharp. And we've seen it once now. But Hines strikes out swinging after a lengthy at bat. And, and he pulled a couple balls really hard down the line, just couldn't square one up in fair territory. And then he hits Kellum Clark. Now, all of a sudden, there's runs of first and second with two outs. They bring in Cole Ramage in place of Tiger. And uh, Brad Kumba strikes out on three pitches. Yeah, I, I, I'm just kind of curious what would have happened if Tiger had stayed the ball game there with not as much bite on that breaking ball. Because Brad's a guy that can put you on Sports Center. If you groove one to him, uh, he's going to hit one so far that Boss Hogg's going to squeal. All right, bottom of 11. And again, Fristo back out here. Battle singles to right field, and then they get another bunt down. This is the smart baseball play. You move the winning run to second. Scott Foxhall goes out. We decide, okay, here's how we're going to play this. We're going to go, we're going to walk him to set up a double play. We're going to set up a force everywhere but home. And if we can roll the ball back up the middle, we've got a chance to turn two and get out of this thing. Well, we do get a double play, but it's rather unconventional. Good at bad here. Stovall gets ahead 2-0, and then we pump a strike in there. We get a foul, and then he absolutely rips one that looked to be destined for right field. I was already ready to grab my stuff. But Luke Hancock said, sit down, Steve. He elevates, gets his glove up, makes the catch, looks at first. The dugout's hollering, too. And I have no idea why Jalen Battles was so far away. He was over halfway to third when they showed the in-stadium replay. He, I mean, you got to think, you're going to score from second anyway on a ball hit to the outfield. But Luke doubles him off. And at that point, I think we all knew we were going to win the game. That's how I felt. I said, you know what? You don't make a play like that and lose a ball game like this. Top of 12, Jaeger lines out at center field. Again, hit the baseball hard, didn't get anything to show for it. Tanner Leggett was about to hit a home run, and I think Arkansas knew it, so they plunked him. I'm, I'm joking. 
but with a, with a name like Tanner Legend uh, in the 12th inning of an SEC weekend, maybe you don't want to take a chance, right, Cole? But they plunk him. And uh, McGowan then flies out to left. And a great play out there in left field. I really – that ball had a tail on it. It was tailing away from the left fielder. He runs and runs and runs. And I'll be honest with you, I have no idea why Leggett wasn't halfway to second. None whatsoever. Because he's going to be able to easily go to third if that ball is down. Might even score. I don't know if he scores, but I think he at least gets to third. And all of a sudden, you've got runners of second and third. But he tags. I don't know who called for the tag. I don't know if it was just situational awareness by him. And he ends up tagging from first and gets in at second. And it was a lot closer than I think people maybe realized. Pretty good throw there. But uh, it's a sack fly. It's a sack fly for McGowan. Then Cam James walks on five pitches. And then Hancock comes through. And this is a play, too that uh, I think is rather interesting. And we're talking about the Hancock C and I single here. Arkansas made a mistake here. I don't know if it's their scouting that made a mistake or if Julian Battles made the mistake. I don't know what the spray chart shows for Luke Hancock, but I don't understand why Julian Battles was positioned on the shortstop side of the back. If you're going to shift, then shift. But because he was on the shortstop side of the back, because, I mean, you're you're not holding the runner. You get runners at first and second, you know, with two outs here, and you got a left-handed hitter. I mean, Leggett's not going to steal third in that situation. I mean, it would be among the gutsiest plays in the history of the game of baseball. You're not going to do that. But for some reason, he shaded at a shortstop side of the bag, and then you've got Robert Moore basically out there playing short field. But because of where battles was shaded, it opened up this window. And that's exactly where Luke Hancock hit the ball. And you see Moore kind of running over as hard as he can from the right side uh, to, to stop the ball, and the run scores. If Battles is shaded to the second base side of the bag, the inning's over. So I don't know if it's Arkansas coaches that positioned him there or if he just decided among himself, but it cost them here. And it made no sense for him to be positioned on that side of the bag. you got a left-handed hitter up. You're not holding the runner. And your second baseman is basically, uh, you know, 30, 40 feet off the infield dirt. So there's no reason for him to be there. But he was, and Luke made him pay. 4-3 ball game. Very next pitch, Logan Tanner dumps a single into center field, and then Cam James scores, and it is a 5-3 ball game. And at that point, I felt a whole lot better because, like, you know, one swing can't tie us. They're going to have to get a, a couple things going here. Hines pops up to second base. That ends the inning. The way Fristo was pitching, I had a lot of confidence. And I think he did too. We make a defensive substitution here, put Braylon Skinner in center, and swap McGowan to right. Very first pitch is a fly out to Braylon. One pitch, one out. Lanzilli then flies out to right again, one pitch, one out. And then Moore, Robert Moore, who is the heart and soul of the Arkansas team, I thought it was kind of apropos to get him here. Uh, this is a guy, too, that, again, is a foul ball machine and really, really made us work here. But we get him with a great breaking ball down in the zone uh, to end the ball game, and State wins. And uh, the Demons are exercised there. Who knew it was going to be that hard, right? It's like you look up 12 innings, and, uh, you know, we had to win it in the 12th, obviously. But, um, you know, a game that was Mississippi State never trailed in the ball game, but had to, uh, you know, kind of hold on for dear life there at the end. Look at the box score here, too. 
uh, you know, State with nine hits in the ball game, which is better than what we had in the other ball game. We had nine hits combined on Friday and Saturday. We get nine on Sunday. Of course, we played 12 innings. But uh, Luke Hancock, three of six in the ball game with the run and two RBIs, just the one strikeout. Much better day for him. LT, two for five, a run and two RBI as well. Of course, the big solo home run was huge at the time. RJ Yeager, two for five, but had five quality at bats. I thought. Again, I, I'm not, I'm not sweating RJ at all. Lane Forsythe, one for two in the ball game, and again, put the ball in play. You know, and I think Lane is getting some better at bats. And then Von Siebert, of course, pinch hits for him in that spot and goes, uh, you know, one for one. But uh, again, Cade Smith is fine. Let's look at the pitching real quick here too. Uh, you had to throw 200 pitches to win this ball game, and they were all outstanding. Only one of them wild, and that was on Cade. Cade goes five innings, allows uh, two runs on three hits, three walks, six Ks, 88 pitches. Was probably coming out the next inning anyway. Still had some good life on the fastball, but um, 88 pitches, maybe you give him a hitter. But with obviously with him getting – uh, hit by the ball, he's got to come out. But Brooks Auger, again, kind of maturing before our eyes. Three and a third inning pitch, allowed three hits, one run, three walks. Got to get better with that. And uh, three punch outs, and both of those were huge, two of those to end the innings. And then Jackson Fristo, his best performance perhaps in the Mississippi State uniform, and certainly this year, three and two-thirds of an inning, two hits of scoreless relief, walked one, struck out four, including the final out of the game. And again, 200 pitches. Arkansas had to throw it 184 times. They didn't fare as well as us, but they uh, they did get us to strike out 15 times. And a lot of that, of course, is uh, Brady Tiger. He had seven of their 15 Ks, or three and two-thirds of an inning, 59 innings pitches. His longest inning of his college, longest outing of his college career, uh, Cole Ravage tagged with the loss, and Jackson Fristo with the win. So there we go. Bulldogs win again. So let's take a look and see what it all means. Our, our look around the SEC brought to you by friends at Portico. You know, Brooks Bryan, that's a guy that is very, very keenly aware of what happens with Mississippi State baseball. Former Diamond Dog, man. Love Brooks. Love the family. Love Brooks's contributions to Mississippi State. Now he's trying to help this Mississippi State Startville community be even better than it is today. Part of a great group of developers that are, that are working to bring this wonderful residential development to life here in Starkville. Phase one is completely sold out. Those people are already loving life out there. 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. Wouldn't you want to be there? Absolutely, you should be. Phase two now under construction. You can have a say in picking your lot, picking your house plans. Uh, reach out to Brooks today at 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Everybody deserves to have new construction at least once in their life. So whether this is a retirement home for you or maybe it's, we, we have a place in Starkville, which is a cool thing to say, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's your ballgame weekend retreat. Maybe it's your primary residence. We'd love to have you as a neighbor. Portico is a great place to live. Very easy access to 82, 12, and 25. The uh, neighborhood market for Walmart's right there. So if like you're on your way home and, and the wife says, hey, can you stop by and get a loaf of bread or get a gallon of milk I forgot at the store? It's right there, conveniently located for you. You just go in there and scoop it up, boom, you're home. It's no, no special trip. It's right there. It's in your neighborhood. It's outstanding. Very easy to find. Very easy to find. If I was moving to Starkville, it's where I'd live. No doubt about it. Make Portico your next move all right let's look around the sec very eventful weekend for sure 
Uh, we talked about this at great length, but uh, Georgia sweeps Florida. You know, when we lost that series up there, I, you know, I was like, you know, this is not an elite Georgia offense, but they're outstanding defensively, and they have good starting pitching. They're pretty good in the bullpen. Are they good enough to be a top eight national seed? I'm still not convinced. I do think that they are probably going to play themselves into position to host. This is a pretty loud series win here to take care of Florida. Florida now drops out of the rankings. They were a team I picked to win the SEC this year. They're underperforming to say the least. And this is the year, too, where, you know, Vandy's a little bit down, so Florida had a chance to kind of retake their rightful spot in the SEC East. They're not taking advantage. What's going on, Sully? Let's get it together. Ole Miss wins uh, two out of three against Kentucky, and, and nearly a big weekend for Kentucky. They lose that uh, Friday ball game two to one. Had a chance to win. They didn't. And, again, give Ole Miss some credit. They had uh, two starting performances. Uh, that they only allowed one run from Kentucky. Kentucky gets after them a little bit on Saturday. But Ole Miss goes into Lexington. That's a big road series win. That's, you know, anytime that you can pick up a series win on the road, it's big. Again, I think Ole Miss is new money, and I think that eventually it's going to catch up with them again. Uh, but, again, you can't knock what they did over the weekend. And, of course, State loses two out of three to Arkansas. But just happy to get one. You can't go down three games in the loss column. You can't. You just can't. You've got to be able to get one and just drop a game so you're not losing so much ground on the front runners here. Uh, Tennessee goes into Vanderbilt and sweeps them. I have told you guys from the beginning of the year, I am not sold on Vanderbilt. I don't think they're very good. I don't think they're very offensive. Tennessee is even better than I think all of us anticipated. I mean, those guys lost, what, five position players at the lineup last year? Five. Lost their Friday night guy, and here they are, the number one team in the country. You got to tip the cap to Tony Vitello. But uh, Vanderbilt will continue to struggle. I'm going to be honest with you, they're, they're probably a team that we're going to be uh, probably similarly situated with when it's all said and done. South Carolina loses two out of three to Missouri. I wasn't sure how to call that series because South Carolina's been so bad on the road. They win Friday and then drop Saturday, Sunday, if I'm, if I'm not, not mistaken. Let me double check my math here. I believe that's correct, that they lost. Yeah, that's exactly right. They lose Saturday, Sunday. It's an 8-7 game on Saturday. Then you come around on Sunday, and uh, Missouri really gets after them 10-3. 10-3. So, good win for Mizzou. How about that? Beezer ball making a comeback. And then, uh, you know, when, I, when A&M and Alabama, you know, give Alabama some credit, too. That's a big series win there, too, for them is they take two of three. Let's look at the SEC standings. It's very, very convoluted right now with, with, with basically one to two exceptions. Tennessee running away with the East. They're already three games. We're three series in the week to the season, and they're three games up already. Undefeated 9-0 and in 27-1 overall. Georgia, the second-place team in the East and the third-best conference record in the, in the league, Six and three, 22 and six overall. That's helping Mississippi State a little bit too. You know, you, you don't want Georgia to go in the tank. Vanderbilt, who I wish we played this year, now four and five in the league and 20 and seven overall. Missouri, three and six, 17 and eight overall. Florida, now three and six, 18 and 10 overall. At some point, you got to think Florida will get it together. They did last year and they ended up hosting and lost in their regional, but they got hot late. Kentucky 3-6, and 18-11. Knicks just got to keep treading water out there and find a way to scratch out a win when they can on the weekends. 
and uh, they've been pretty good so far. Just they, they need to get a series win somewhere here in the next couple of weeks. South Carolina three and six, and thirteen and fourteen overall. South Carolina, of course, the only team in the Southeastern Conference with a losing record. Again, Ray Tanner is going to be making a coaching change into this year, barring something completely, cha- you know, earth shattering. Arkansas seven and two in the league and twenty one and five overall. And of course, one of those two happened on Sunday to Mississippi State. The other to Missouri. That's interesting. Auburn five and four, second in the West, a game ahead of us. Five and four, nineteen and nine overall. They'll be here in two weeks. And then there is a log jam. Everybody else in the West, four and five. Ole Miss four and five, nineteen and eight. LSU four and five, nineteen and nine. A and M four and five, sixteen and eleven. Alabama four and five, seventeen and twelve, and Mississippi State four and five, seventeen and twelve. So we win the series against Alabama, uh, and so they have the same record as us. You know, so that's the thing too that I look at with all this stuff too. Is like there's there are all these people out there that have these opinion makers. They say, well, you know, Auburn really just okay. Ole Miss is really good. They're not. LSU is struggling. A&M is up and down, but yet everybody's kind of right there together within two games of each other in their overall record and then tied in the SEC records. So this SEC West battle, and, and Arkansas is not done losing ball games either. I think I still think Arkansas contends for a top eight national seed, but you know, they're not going to be able to catch Tennessee for the overall championship, in my personal opinion, unless Tennessee has some setbacks. But you know, looking at this Arkansas schedule, you know, now that we that, that's our RPI boost, right? We got to take care of business. But you know, these teams that we play, we need them to kind of take care of business. Uh, Arkansas heads to Florida this week. That'll be awfully interesting. And then they host LSU, LSU, Mississippi State, and then Arkansas. LSU ranked 19th in the country, of course, after that loud series win. Arkansas gets a trip to A&M. Then they host Ole Miss. They go to Auburn. They host Vanderbilt, and they're at Alabama. So they avoid Tennessee this year. And so you, you really start thinking, if you're Arkansas, if you can win this weekend, if you can get a road series win at Florida this weekend, it sets up really well the rest of the way because more of your difficult series are going to be at your place. It's outstanding. I mean, it really is. Arkansas has got a real chance here. And, then, like, you look at – we talk about Tennessee. I mean, my goodness. You know, they've already got – two you know, top 15 SEC road series under their belts. Those are things you think about. The schedule only gets lighter from here. It's insanity. They, they, they sweep Ole Miss. They sweep Vanderbilt, both of them top 10 teams at the time. And, they, and Tennessee does it on the road. They host Missouri this weekend, then they host Alabama. You got to think there's you know five of six wins right there. Then they go to Florida, which was expected to be a huge series and I thought would probably determine the SEC East and possibly the SEC. Then they get Auburn. They go to Kentucky. Georgia will go to Knoxville. That'll be a big weekend. And then they come to Mississippi State. If you're you're Tennessee, this run that they're on right now at number one, I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to last two more weeks at a minimum. Impressive stuff. Impressive stuff. Got to give Vitello and those guys a lot of credit. All right, listen, we went long today, but we probably needed to after a big win over Arkansas. But uh, real quickly, though, I just want to give you guys you know, maybe the Cliff Notes version of uh, what to expect. Now, it, there is rain in the forecast for Tuesday. 
and uh, we're scheduled to play Tennessee Martin. It is expected to clear in the early to mid-afternoon hours. So we do expect to get a game played tomorrow. I haven't heard anything to suggest otherwise. It's supposed to rain on Wednesday too, but I may say all this. We may get a change uh, in the morning. But uh, it is UT Martin. And, uh, you know, we didn't throw Pico Cone over the weekend. We didn't throw Brandon Smith. Good chance we see them get an inning or two. Uh, Tennessee Martin is 8-17 and 17 overall. They have lost their last two. And, uh, you know, looking at their schedule, I mean, you know, they, we ought to be able to go out here and out-talent these guys. But the bottom line is we can't assume anything. we got to go out there and, sw- and swing the bats. But, uh, you know, they won on, um, on Friday. And that was their first win in a couple weeks. I mean, they had not won since March the 19th. Lost one, two, three, four, five, six games in a row before that. So this is a team that's really struggling. And so there's no point to kind of run through all the numbers because we've already had a longer show today. But let me just encourage you, uh, if you're in the area, please turn out. And uh, hopefully the weather will hold for us. And hopefully we will not have uh, any crazy tornadic activity tomorrow. And hopefully we can have a ball game and everybody be safe at home and be able to watch the game. Thank you guys for your support of the Boneyard Low these many years. If you're looking for books, you can find them at dogpiledebook.com. And we do have, we still have some inventory. I, people, people message me and say, Steve, I hope I'm, you still can do it. You probably only got about another week or two, but then we're not too far removed from, uh, you know, the second printing coming out too. And we've got some of our book partners too that have some stock. And as we deplete, they're willing to kind of trade us some back, knowing they're going to get it replaced when the new printing comes out. So if you want to order from dogpilethebook.com, you feel free to do so while you're there. Pick up copies of Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dog. Stark Villains now, uh, that the supply on that is getting kind of critically low. So if you're looking to get that book, you need to kind of make a move sooner rather than later. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. <laughs>